Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the one-handed wizard begging for mercy at the feet of Mangum Reeds. We are three muggles who are currently very glad we had that one tattoo removed, just in case. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? At times concerned what you think of this podcast based on descriptions like that. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. Um, Well, you know, this is what we do here uh, as we wait for Mangum Reeds to be revived from the dead. Um, Indeed. So oh, God. we. I mean, we have a cauldron up and everything. <laughs> like, it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do a podcast here. <laughs> oh, we do. Um, yes, we do. And every so often. Every so often. And so we are on chapter 33 of the fourth book of Harry Potter, titled The Death Eaters. And we have some segments that uh, comprise this podcast. We have a rapid fire recap. <laughs> <laughs> We have BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer. We award house points, and then there are questions and queries and qualms and quibbles and all of those things. Um, yeah. Are we yeah. ready for a re- recap of... Well, so, just a quick question. Are you just going to, like, read the chapter as fast <laughs> as you can? Because, I mean, we essentially have a recap of what has happened so far for the other participant um, the the Tom Riddle of the world, Tom Riddle Jr., um, no less. Which I I I have been practicing my terms and conditions voice over the course of the last week, but okay. I have not quite gotten to the point at which I can read this entire chapter in my two minute mark. Um, and given that I am not willing to let go of all of the points that I have accumulated <laughs> over the course of this book, I I do have a recap of a recap. Although I do I don't know I think that we do learn some new information over the course of this chapter, but I suppose we can debate on that. Maybe we just get more nuances to information that we already had, uh, or maybe some confirmations of some things that we already knew, but we'll see, I guess. Well, uh, other than I'm sure you're practicing your Bond villain voice as you do this recap, (laughs) how long do you think it's going to take? It's it's a shorter on average chapter, not as short as last time, but it's still below average for the book. Yes, but it is all just information. And oh, yeah. even though BJ has sort of poo-pooed the idea of <laughs> this chapter being just a recap of things that we already know, he will also complain if I do not contain the requisite amount of information <laughs> what? in it's my own recap. <laughs> he, he's going to complain no matter what you do. It's part of the charm. So honestly, I this is a, a longer recap for me. So I am going to wing in a prayer under two minutes for this one. Okay. Um, uh, and just see if we can get there. I am not placing a bet. We have our two-minute goal set. Stopwatch is ready whenever you are. Voldemort is thrilled to have his body and his wand back, and he promptly displays his power by tossing Wormtail around. Wormtail begins begging for Voldemort to do something about his hand, but Voldemort grabs his arm to see the brand of the Dark Mark and send out a call to his one-time followers, those brave enough to return. Finally noticing Harry, he begins to soliloquize about his family, who lived at the top of the hill, his mother Foggle, father 
Muggle father abandoned his witch mother who died at his birth. Voldemort killed his own father and developed a different family. Wizards uh, apparate in across the graveyard, each Death Eater genuflecting before Voldemort. They form a circle, but there are notable gaps. Voldemort reasserts his power through accusation. How is it that no one looked for him, and yet there, there they still stand? Um, but they knew he took steps to ensure he'd be back, or perhaps they fell under Dumbledore's spell? When one robed wizard tries to beg forgiveness, uh, Voldemort immediately pulls out the old standby, Crucio. He turns to Wormtail, who has at least reconciled some of his guilt and conjures him a powerful new silver hand. Voldemort makes his way around the circle. Lucius Malfoy is there, as slippery as ever. One gap was left by the Lestranges, who are in Azkaban, faithful and loyal in their support. They'll be broken out when the Dementors join them, and of course the Giants. Goddamn McNair, who didn't get to kill Buckbeak, is there. Crab, Goyle, not. Then a big gap of the missing. One too cowardly to return, one lost forever, and his most loyal servant, who is at Hogwarts. Malfoy wants to know the miracle of Voldemort's return, as Harry caused his downfall through the protection of his mother's love, he brought him here to share that old magic. When Voldemort touches Harry's face, Harry is suffused with pain, but Voldemort is fine. Where before Harry's mother's protection was so strong that his spell bounced back and ripped him from his body, forcing him to possess other wizards' body, hence Quirrell, he's now unaffected by the spell. Wormtail found him in Albania, guided by other rats, and in the process brought him Bertha Jorkins, who was a mine of information. Wormtail nursed him and finally helped him prepare for this piece of old dark magic. It was Bertha's information that led him to the faithful Death Eater, the Triwizard Tournament, and the Portkey. And then, to show that he truly has overcome Harry's protections, he casts Crucio and then offers him the chance to fight for his life. Okay, you made it in. Could have placed that standard bet. We were right at 155, but... 155.82, writing it down. Um, glad, glad to have the summary of a summary out of a way in this podcast <laughs> within a podcast. <laughs> BJ, what are you wheezing about? Um, well, a minor thing that I bring up every so often, <laughs> um, because... If you replace wand with something else. I so hmm, I I started I did my notes. I had not thought about this. I started my recap and I thought, shoot. <laughs> he crushed it gently too, and then he raised it, pointed it at Wormtail, who lifted off the ground and was thrown against the headstone where Harry was tied. Mm-hmm. You know, it's evocative. Um Spencer, do you have your, your book in front of you? I do. Um, if you would turn to just before the, uh, end of the chapter, we have a lovely little thing, uh, right after Voldemort casts Crucio on Harry. Um, or Sarah, if you get there first, whichever of you would like to, um, experience the glory of, of our paragraph sentence. It was pain beyond Fun punctuation. It was it was this the why by using Bertha Jorkins or it was pain beyond anything? Which paragraph? It was pain beyond anything. Okay, it was pain beyond anything Harry had ever experienced. Semicolon. His very bones were on fire. Semicolon. His head was surely splitting along his scar. Semicolon. His eyes were rolling madly in his head. Semicolon. He wanted it to end. Triple dot. To black out. Triple dot. To die. Triple dot. Listen, there was also some nice alliteration in there, BJ. So you should be pleased. Sure. <laughs> um, I also want to point out that there was a three-dot ellipses at the end of that paragraph sentence rather than four. So well, he clearly oh. did not reach the end of his sentence. He is he is actually trailing <laughs> off into the ether. I mean, I'm surprised that he can have four separate thoughts going on with Crucio as denoted by these four semicolons. Sorry, five. Um... Yeah, I mean, 
I think that there are some other things to wheeze about, uh, namely the the big finger pointing that we get during this uh, chapter um, that's kind of hilariously big. Um, but that's, you know, bordering into Newbie's Notes territory, which, you know, I shouldn't do too much. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is I understand you can't have a book if Voldemort kills Harry, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but... But this is an insane chapter. <laughs> and, you know, in terms of the big bad is trying to figure out if, you know, this young wizard could possibly, you know, save the day, supplant him, whatever it is he's actually worried about. He has a coterie of powerful wizards, and he's the one to cast a spell against Harry Potter that he has in his clutches without a wand. And it's just like, what are you doing? Just just have have anybody kill Harry Potter. No, Why? no, no, uh-uh. no. No, I mean, he is deeply uncertain that any of these Death Eaters are actually with him anymore. He has to reestablish his power and reputation among them. He can't have somebody else kill Harry Potter. I mean, after he became the boy who Slit lived... Slit his throat! <laughs> No, Slit his throat. No, Don't no, no. use magic. The the bruised pride that is going into play get, it's, that is at play with this decision making is readily apparent. This guy needs to make an example. He needs to banish any rumors that he was defeated by a baby, and he needs to do it here in front of witnesses. I mean, you know, it's good that he has his his you know solid eleven inch wand to to reinforce that point. But yes, that is what is going on here. It is that. It, I mean, having a wand measuring contest is just not, I think, not the way to to put your plans into fruition. BJ, but I, if you're going to continue to harp on this, I'm going to need you to just sit out of next chapter's podcast because it's going to be unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to re- request an absence from you next week. <laughs> The Dark Lord raised his naughty 11-inch wand before Harry. <laughs> oh, it gets weirder. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> they crossed wands and sparks were flying everywhere. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Wizard Wheezes, next chapter, folks. Tune in. Maybe maybe I'll, I'll just be absent next chapter. <laughs> you all can do whatever you want. <laughs> the, the, the summary has been submitted by... <laughs> vicariously we are not participating in this uh, yeah I'll, i will i will send um, in my recap by owl and we'll see what mm. happens so i find it really interesting that we have a name here that i'm familiar with in ways that i shouldn't be um the the lestrange name mm. oh yeah um, you and and shouldn't be we really have, we, we we have seen the lestranges briefly at the trial yes i, I know that name from there in the in the yep. Eve chapter Mm-hmm. Um, but also there is a Lestrange played by the character that always plays crazy ladies. Um, and that's another way that I know that this person exists. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting that, that we see it this early. I'm assuming from your description, Helena Bottom Connor, am I right? <laughs> yes, just... that is exactly who it is. <laughs> just go figured that from that description, that's who it was going to be. Yeah. I don't know why that's the lead you're bar- burying me, Jay. <laughs> I wasn't trying to bury that lead. It was just one of those things that, like, anyway. But yes, she is um, recognizable. Yes. So, yeah, it, this chapter is very weird in its foreshadowing 
and heavy uh, look back, mm-hmm. I will say, mm-hmm. it, in sort of entertaining measures. But um, I, I just really want a no Harry Potter, I expect you to die line um, <laughs> at the end of this chapter because somebody was watching a lot of Bond movies <laughs> for this chapter. Um, I don't understand how else it could have come about. Yeah, that was the research that was happening here. And based on his decision making here, he's going less Bond villain and more like end of kung fu movie of where no, 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 I will fight him myself. Because most of the Bond villains sure. are getting other people to do their evil plans. Well, but I guess more the soliloquy. You, the, um, you certainly get the monologue from the Bond villain mm-hmm. here. I mean, you know, we just have to enjoy that J.K. Rowling really consumed her broccoli. <laughs> Uh, shall I go? Shall I go into newbie's notes then, BJ? Yes, let, let's Please let's do. go into newbie's <laughs> notes. That I, <laughs> I I really adore what an old timey movie villain uh, Voldemort is. He's just. It's so... unfortunate that he doesn't have mustaches to twirl because he a hundred percent would be. Where would they go without him without a nose? It's the placement would be odd. Oh, that's a that's a visual right there. Uh, but he's so unabashedly happily evil. He just, he looks evil, he acts evil, he clearly has fun being evil, he probably practices his evil laugh every time he wakes up in the morning. (laughs) He even, like, you know, incredible style, catches himself evil monologuing and actually laughs it off and stops. It's just such a delightful theatricality associated with it. This isn't, you know, modern Disney's Maleficent equivalent. This is old Maleficent and then happy about it. It even has the tragic backstory justification that justifies nothing thrown in there for good measure. This being an old-timey villain, then, fitting all of those examples, really sucks to be a minion of this kind of villain. Doesn't... (laughs) I mean, they get their perks, they get their just rewards in all sense, all meaning of the word. He really seems like he does favor those that he views as exceptionally loyal, but for the rank and file on a given day, your odds of being murdered seem higher than they should be. And also, like, the weird, what what is loyalty and how he decides loyalty is Arbitrary. just capricious in a way that I guess we should expect, mm-hmm. but is also kind of like, really, Th- this is just goofy at this point. Well, he, he's, a um, big, he's a big mens rea rather than actus rea kind of guy. He really likes what's in your head rather than what you did. Because with Wormtail, mm-hmm. Wormtail did everything. Wormtail's responsible for his resurrection. He should be, you know, in... Any world based on your actions receiving credit received the lion's share of whatever could be doled out to these people. Mm-hmm. But Voldemort looks at him and goes, but you didn't do it because you liked me. And that's enough that he just dismisses it entirely. Yeah, you get a magic hand, but that's it. I feel like Rowling might be Catholic. This this feels very, very Catholic to me right now. The You, you haven't accepted me as your lord and savior into your heart, so you get nothing. Mm-hmm. It is it, it, through... Actually, it's it's more Protestant than Catholic because it yeah. Catholicism yeah. values good. No acts. good works required yeah. here. Um, it is the Protestant through faith alone that we are. Oh, okay, yes. I mean, but we're getting a little bit of transubstantiation, right? Th- that happens in both. So okay, <laughs> we're drawn from all over the place here. What? Well, on that point, it's very interesting to find out what the key motivations for Voldemort are. It's avoiding death. Uh, mm-hmm. es- es- escaping from the concept of mortal death with him th- offering such lines as that he's gone further than anyone along the path of immortality with the goal of conquering death. 
and that he's engaged in all of these steps to guard himself to the point that he questions their loyalty, that they doubted that these steps would work. Because they knew about them. Yes. This is a key aspect of his motivations, of his goals, that he never hid from his followers. And so the fact that all of them were actively out looking for him after this happened is a fundamental display of disloyalty in his mind. Because this is his thing. Also interesting that, A, it kind of worked, and B, maybe he's just lazy, but, like, the Sorcerer's Stone, or more aptly titled in the UK, and for some unknown reason in the US, I mean, other than, you know, maybe some legal matters, the Philosopher's Stone, which makes a lot more sense, it it seems like it's unclear, like, what part of this is laziness and what part of this is just a... I like killing people, so I'm evil, and I also have this other goal. Um, I'm sort of interested to see like how this part plays out if we get a little bit more of we, we, we don't know the why. We don't hear much about what his actions were with respect to the Philosopher's Stone back in the day when he was in a position of power. Why, why so much of his plans weren't just mm. gunning for that particular artifact. All, all we hear here is that you know he couldn't do much for the period after his whatever we want to call it reduced to incorporeal demon state, death, whatever else, is that without a physical body to act with, he couldn't do really much. He was just in the middle of nowhere possessing small animals because unless he could possess a person or get the person to help them, he was pretty much inherently vulnerable to horrors everywhere. And, I mean, luckily for his followers, he wasn't particularly querulous then. Let's discuss that. It, we've, we've been deba- I've been debating in my head a while about what degree we viewed Quirrell as a Death Eater or just an innocent victim of Voldemort's manipulations. Voldemort's description here really kind of almost betrays him as being at least more innocent than not. That mm-hmm. he was a manipulated and controlled individual rather than somebody that was seduced by the dark arts necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I think that my understanding is that, you know, Quirrell went unclear how... Um, I don't know why he ended up in the woods right then, right there, necessarily. No, I mean, I do believe, I do believe the story that, like, he was going to do research on vampires or something in Albania. Like, I think that he was legitimately interested in this sort of defense against the dark arts kind of thing. But it, it does seem like wrapped up in that was a little hint of an interest in, okay, but what, hmm, what are the dark arts? I do agree with your assessment, though, that he was more innocent than not, that he got sort of right. caught up. His curiosity led him to get caught up in this, in Voldemort's web, allowing him to be possessed. But also, it seems like, well, I guess going on a number of assumptions, which might not be valid, but... <laughs> As we do, Quir- go on. Quirrell, so was Quirrell a dark arts professor... For more than just the first year. Well, it seems like he was a professor at Hogwarts, because Voldemort actually specifically refers to him when he possessed him as a professor at Hogwarts. Right. And so that that's my assumption. And so if that's the case, he either was super weak and useless, which Dumbledore has hired at least one of those, <laughs> um, or he was a little bit more innocent, but like if he was a reasonable dark defense against the dark arts professor it feels like he should have had a little bit of a defense against the dark arts <laughs> what one of the things we we do get out of this chapter is Voldemort is like insanely world-breaking strong at magic it appears i mean he's just casual conjuring of silvery ghost hand to just immediately fix worm wormtail stump 
was like jaw-dropping levels of magic that are just cast like, you know, Molly Weasley cleaning up the kitchen. Right. And he also doesn't use his... He doesn't cast spells except for the unforgivable curses with his wand so far, mm -hmm. which is another thing that... It's just command words, yeah. I either really hate or if it's explained, I will maybe be okay with, but like this is sort of where the why like this isn't old magic this is like this isn't explainable by you know you're undergoing a blood right ritual this is everybody else does magic one way and voldemort being the special evil dude that he is does magic in his own special way and it's like mm, all right really sarah i think you were gonna say something more. yeah so i actually looked up uh quirrell on the um harry potter wiki and this is super interesting because I was I was confused about when he had become Defense Against the Dark Arts professor and when he started teaching at Hogwarts because we did mm -hmm. learn in that first book that even before Quirrell got there, they, or even before that year, they had been having a hard time keeping people in that Defense Against the Dark Arts job, right? They were only lasting for a year anyway. And so I was confused about Quirrell because, you know, he lasted until the end of the right. year. He only taught Defense Against the Dark Arts for one year. Before that, ah. he taught Muggle Studies. Oh, which is almost as a practically a non-magical, you know, class. It's right. And so then, before teaching Defense Against the Dark <laughs> he Arts, he was a sociology professor. Yeah, he went out in search of Voldemort, believing he could achieve recognition for finding him and could uh, learn things that would ensure that no one ever laughed at him again. Oh, oh, poor dear. <laughs> well, that didn't work I out mean, well. That that seems a little like. Well, it, it, it's, point. it seems so in keeping of so what we see of the followers is that they're all people which have the the the, the, the out well, with several of them. We'll use Wormtail as another example. Are kind of on the outskirts of the social order. Mm -hmm. They're looking. They're looking for a way of achieving power over those around them. And they don't really want to st stay chained to Voldemort. But once you've gone in a little bit, you can never leave. It's we're smarmy politicians. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, when I was saying this, I couldn't say everybody, because we also have freaking Lucius Malfoy that's standing here in front of everybody else, and he's not exactly, yeah. you know, the outskirts of high society kind of dude. Which, I'm sort of curious if, like, he's friends with Crabbe and Goyle Sr. Um, because, like, it'd be really funny if, like, it was the same kind of, like, tag-along, ugly asshole relationship that, you know, just keeps going generation after generation. <laughs> I imagine he'd almost do it as below himself to associate with that level of person after he leaves school. Useful enforcers of the time, but you don't meet, deal with them in polite company. Uh, it's interesting to see, just in terms of like power comparisons, how much of a personal grudge Voldemort bears against Dumbledore, primarily because it seems like people compare him against him. Mm -hmm. It's also not a, seemingly not quite as powerful. Uh, how do you mean? Who do you mean? Like, Dumbledore is more powerful than Voldemort, and that's why his followers are, like, worried when Voldemort isn't there. Yeah. It, 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 I think Voldemort would violently dispute that point about who's the most powerful wizard in the world, and I think that's part of yeah. the... Mm -hmm. Probably along with some aspect of history, too, but just the idea that there is some debate on the subject of who is the strongest uh, is something that Voldemort just simply can't tolerate. Mm -hmm. As for who all is there, we get a list... And some of these people I think I've heard of before, and some of them I wasn't sure about. Some uh, of them you have not? Uh, well, yeah, thank you. Actually, not is one of the ones I definitely have no, <laughs> no clue whatsoever about. I have not heard that name before, I don't think. 
Uh, Avery is one I think serious name dropped previously as part of a gang of Slytherins that became Death Eaters back in his year, uh, along with Lestrange, or, uh, I think of that same generation. Lucius Malfoy is to the surprise of goddamn no one, Mm-mm. though the fact that he was directly involved in the whole Quidditch World Cup, um, uh, torturing the muggles, uh, setting tents on fire kind of thing... It was interesting that he would get his hands dirty in that much of a direct regard, though I like that Voldemort straight up called him out on, yeah, yeah, you were having a hell of a time, and then the moment the sign went up, you ran for the hills. You disloyal prick. Uh, Sarah, as you know, dude, in fact McNair was there, honestly caught me a little bit off guard. That guy has an official position and title and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. He is a member of government. Uh, I'm assuming... I mean, if you need scientists for your various research programs, like, you take what you can get. Indeed. <laughs> this guy likes to murder? Chief Executioner. So, done. Uh, I, BJ, you noted that these were Crab and Goyle Sr. That's what I was assuming, because mm-hmm. that otherwise wouldn't make much sense that it's just freaking Crab and Goyle standing there. Yeah. Um, also, interesting, do we do we know, I can't remember, Spencer, you might remember, do we know Crab and Goyle's first names, or are they just Crab and Goyle? I, I'm... I only know right now Crab and Goyle. We I'm, do I'm to... we do learn them. I'm trying to remember if we already know them. That'd be really funny if it was just like it's not important. They're of this terrible family. That's all you need to know. <laughs> they're they're proles. They don't have first names. They just repeat senior and third and all down the line. It's it's so the the you know, the students, the um Harry's peers yeah. are Vincent Crab and Gregory Goyle. Okay, I, th- I think we might have had that earlier. And I, on, yeah, I feel like they're we got almost that. never referred to as such. No, no, it's like one time, glancingly. Yeah, I mean they have a long Mook lineage, and yeah, I think you know what we might have got them in the was that we might have gotten them in the first book during the sorting when they would have had to have been. Yeah, I think up I think we did. Both that that would have been yeah. a place. Yeah. Um, what's even more interesting than those that are present are those that are absent, particularly based on the descriptions. Mm-hmm. Of where we get the Lestranges, the loyal diehard followers they are, they're still in Azkaban. But then there's six others that he name drops. We got three dead, we got one to cowardly to cowardly to return, we've got one that he believes is lost forever, and then the other one, his most faithful servant, already returned to the cause, he's at Hogwarts, he's responsible for Harry arriving tonight. Have you thought about Snape recently? Because I'm going to start pointing oh, fingers at Snape. It's not fucking Snape. And it's obviously not we Snape. We know it's not Snape, but like he's... It's the Minister of Sport. Pretty, we, we, we know this. Are you the cowardly one? No, I don't think he is. I think the cowardly one... You don't one, think Snape is the cowardly one? I think Snape is the one that's left forever. I think the cowardly one is uh, the... Interesting. The, 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 the uh, headmaster of Durnstrand. Of Dur- of Durnstrand. Karkaroff. Thank you. Karkaroff. I, I'm assuming hmm. Kar- Karkaroff's the one that's yeah. too cowardly returned. He already provided testimony as a reputation for being a coward, and we've seen him just constantly waffling about with Snape about what to do. Snape's got Dumbledore's trust, and as weird as Dumbledore is about those kind of things, I'm willing to trust him in that regard. And then we have our own theories we've debated on who the most faithful servant is, and that seems, particularly with the information we then get about Bertha Jorkins here in a minute, to really perfectly fall in line with our Minister of Sport. Um... See here. I, dem- I love that Voldemort just like, and we'll bring the Dementors. Because of course we will. They'll obviously support us. Just, have you seen them? Have you seen them? Is, yeah. Is anyone well, debating which is also this? It, These are our people. Really interesting because he either knows that they will support him because they would have the last time around or has this weird, like, 
Of course they will, because they are what they are, and they didn't last time around because something? Well, I, I actually have a question at that point, which I'll I'll say it now, and you can answer it later, Sarah, but <laughs> how long have the Dementors been working at Azkaban and working with the Ministry? It seems like it's been long enough that Dumbledore's had multi, multi-decade opinions on the subject of mm-hmm. them, but we'll come back to that. Okay. Uh, it's interesting to see, in terms of the very, very long villain rant by uh, Voldemort, we hear that in his, uh, whatever we want to say, torturing, grilling, manipulating, mind-breaking of Bertha Jorkins, that she knew about the faithful Death Eater, but in some ways it required breaking a memory charm. Okay, so this was the question. I have a question, too, at this point, because I have never, and I... It, I did not understand it this time, and maybe I have just missed it in all of my readings because I've never understood. Have we heard about this memory charm on Bertha Jorkins before? Are we supposed to know what that is? I have never heard a word about it. My assumption was that she came across or secretly discovered that the Minister of Sport was actually a Death Eater, and so he memory charmed her to block away that information from getting out. That was that was my assumption based on the text. Okay. I think since we have not heard of it, I wanted to make sure that we didn't weren't supposed to have known this already. I think I know where in the book we get the information. I just don't now I don't also don't remember what it is. So I wanted to make sure that I was like not completely <laughs> completely missing something. Well, this yeah. is one of the things that just further proved to my mind that, you know, the fact that she knew who was the faithful death eater, she's in his department. He's her direct superior. She wouldn't know about somebody that was just at Hogwarts, but she could. I could totally see how she might be able to find out about the fact that the or immediate superior of the Ministry is working for the enemy. Um, and well, or just has seen the tattoo or something like that. Um, possibility. The, he, I, he does explicitly say that she told him that he's a loyal follower, that he's fighting for the cause still, everything along those lines, which was more detailed than he has a tattoo. Right. Um, I could also imagine that there's some, I guess, it, you know, if I were a wizard at the ministry, I would put memory charms on everybody that like prevented somebody from doing exactly what Voldemort did, where it's not like you can't access this, but like other people can. Sure. Mm. But like, I don't know. I assume that's not a thing because, because of course it's not. <laughs> The useful thing, though, is like effectively you put a memory block on them so their memories can't be mined by others or by the pen sieve or something. I can see how that would be useful. Uh, As we said earlier, it's interesting to see Voldemort ever so briefly try to justify the reason that he picked Harry Potter as his, you know, antagonist to use for this magical ritual. For he tries to say, a worm tail would have had me pick anybody. But no, no, no. I had to pick the one that was my most powerful adversary, the one that defeated me, because that would help me come back really strong. And then from there, he just straight up goes into, and now I shall murder him in front of you so you all believe I am strong. And no one will ever say again that I was killed by a baby. It's just so much. Okay, maybe there's a bit of a justification about the spell works better if it's a more extreme antagonist. But then you're going on, and now everyone will know how powerful I am. Just kind of makes that seem like an obvious cover for you have a massively bruised ego that a toddler took you out. Yeah, this is just a thing he wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah, and well, and not a toddler, just a muggle, and I think that's worse. Yeah, fair. Mm-hmm. Well, is Harry a muggle or a mudblood? Harry's a mudblood, I assume. Cause, no, no, because well, no, his mom was a witch, even though she was muggle-born. Well, but, oh, so like he referred to 
his I thought he referred like Voldemort referred to Harry's mom being a muggle. She was. Oh, I'm sorry. She yeah, came from she, the Muggle world. Yeah, no, she was. Her his mom was a. She was Muggle born. Yes, but she went to Hogwarts. Okay. She was a witch. She was a very powerful right. Okay, witch. that yeah. that's where like I was kind of confused about like how he was just like well you know this Muggle you know use oh. this this more powerful magic and she's like what but no that's... i mean his whole part of his whole thing was that you know muggle-born people with magic who were muggle-born should never be allowed to become witches or wizards right Th- right okay that it's a Th- this... sort of abomination of nature that magic has found their way into muggle families yeah. yeah, this guy's embracing like you know post Nat Turner rebellion uh, racial laws in Virginia kind of thing in terms of purity of blood required to operate in polite society. Yes, I was gonna say there's also like some laws in the 30s that this is a v- very reminiscent mm-hmm. of given his own heritage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. But that's it for me, uh, Sarah. This seems like a weird chapter to say who won, who lost this. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> one guy talking. Uh, I, I think that there is a fairly clear winner who is doing way better at the end of the chapter than he was at the beginning of the chapter. Are you putting Wormtail uh, up for winner of this chapter? A hundred percent. That feels dirty to ever call him a winner of anything. But I mean, he does have this pretty sweet hand that can just crush shit to dust, which seems great. I guess. Is it gl- is it glowing? Like I pictured this thing as being like a re- like a freaking disco globe on his hand in terms of the light that's coming off this thing. <laughs> I think it was when it was forming. I think that that was the sort of magic coalescing the silvery Are stuff. Are you imagining a like a Michael Jackson esque <laughs> glove of some sort? I- I'm picturing a freaking Statue of Liberty globe that's on his hand when he puts his hand up in the air. <laughs> also covered in rhinestones, okay. I hope. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Um, but it, it's still that'd be now. really funny if they so if there was like a uh non Hollywood knockoff movie, it a hundred percent would be like a white glove covered in rhinestones. <laughs> mm, mm. But so, so you're saying it's just kind of silver now, it's a silver, I, yeah. I think it's 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 yeah. silver. We are we are in the silver world of Jamie Lannister at this point, and that's just what <laughs> we're doing. Um. So, yeah, I, I think that Wormtail, out of everyone, he is materially better than he was at the beginning of the chapter. Um, he also did, half-hearted though it was, he did get some recognition from Voldemort. For at so least half-hearted. Being Somehow there. his way back into Voldemort's at least somewhat good graces. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that were, based on Voldemort's description, Wormtail actually went to find him. It's not like he just ended up in the woods and, you know, they, they used the opportunity. He consciously traveled to Albania to find and help his lord. But from Voldemort's perspective, you still didn't do it because you really mean it. <laughs> uh, where were the dragons that Bill was researching? Romania. Okay. <laughs> um, there, there may be dragons out in Albania, but those are currently not under study. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I just wanted to make sure that there wasn't... Uh, People off in interesting places doing interesting things. No, I don't think that Charlie was at any point... uh, That's right, um, Charlie, not Bill. uh, ...inhabited by Voldemort. No, I I think it was more just like I imagine him going out and being like, well, maybe I can find him and cleanse it, like a little Mm. bit more quarrel style Mm. than... Sarah, the the descriptor of there may be dragons feels like an old map designed by a scientist or something. It's like... (laughs) We cannot positively determine whether there are or aren't dragons. There may be dragons. Um, as far as, I mean, as far as loser of the chapter goes, in these chapters, you 
you almost want to say Harry, but this is another chapter where Harry is almost just witnessing everything that's going on. We are ramping up to Harry is going to have action again. Yeah. Um, Voldemort is making it such I mean, that a, we know that Harry is going to have action again. There's a crucial point here, though. Yes, there is. And it is at the very end of the chapter. He he ends the chapter in much more pain and in a much more precarious situation than he began the chapter. Yes, or at least slightly more. Um, and Though, we have somebody else that experiences the uh, Cruciatus curse. Uh, that's Avery, Avery, right? Yeah. Right. Um, one, one, thing to no- one thing to note, though, from Harry's perspective, if you were in this position, you'd probably reasonably start this chapter, particularly when all the Death Eaters showing up, saying, oh, well, I'm going to get murdered now while I'm tied to a gravestone. But he ends this chapter with, oh, no, I get a quote-unquote fair fight. Compared to what any other one else would assume in that position... That ain't bad. It's yeah. yeah. That that's a that's a fair point. That is absolutely a fair point. Um, so I think that we might. I think that we have to look at these Death Eaters that have gathered, or potentially some of those who have not, because that could be that could nope. be bad. I mean, but they haven't changed their status within the chapter. That's true. Which is our rules. I think Avery would be a good yeah. I guess option. I mean, I think that um, he's the best option out of who we have specifically there and what happens to them. Um, yeah. Because I don't think, much as I would like to, I don't think that we can do the... Voldemort has protested too much about his own power and has therefore <laughs> undercut his own power in the world. No, too Freudian. Okay, no. all right. Well, we'll save that for a different a different podcast. Uh, well, I think I think Avery's a good read, too. Um and if, if we're content at that point, it kind of leads into my one of my questions then for questions and queries. All right, let's check done. Uh, question, go. Why are they here? Or how are they here, all the Death Eaters? Like, did, were they compelled? Was were, was a memo sent out? Is there a secret email account they all use? Because no one looks happy to be here. So, I mean, it is through... And this was not overly clear in this reading when I was actually paying attention to it. And this is, again, one of those things that I think that the movie is a, a little more cut and dried on how this happens. Mm-hmm. He summons them. He summons them through that brand, through the tattoo. Which is interesting, then, who doesn't show up to it. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't know how they... I don't know the mechanics of how they know the location at that point, or if they are just kind of magically drawn to that location what you know whatever but they there will be on their their scar or their their tattoo will darken and glow even as it has been darkening as Voldemort has been getting closer to returning to power as we were heard from Karkaroff and Snape's conversation um but then when um Voldemort specifically summons them using one of his followers tattoos in this case Wormtail um then it becomes a sort of searing pain on everyone's arms. What well, the timing of it doesn't work for that being the act to summon them now because they're already there in in, in dress at the time that he does that. Like yeah. they have their outfits on and everything. Uh, so well there's not, a no there's a couple minute delay. What it wasn't clear from the text it almost looked like that he did that thing and then looks over his shoulder and says, like, "Oh, the audience is here." Let me look at that space again because I thought that there was a little bit of a a little bit of a de- delay. Because, okay, hold on. If, if that's the case, I love that the Death Eaters are apparently very capable at a Clark Kent outfit change when they need to, to get in their appropriate robes. I think they can summon, I think that they can magic their robes around them. Um, 
Because he pressed his long white forefinger to the brand on Wormtail's arm. The scar on Harry's forehead seared with a sharp pain again, and Wormtail let out a fresh howl. Voldemort removed his fingers from Wormtail's mark, and Harry saw that it had turned jet black. A look of cruel satisfaction on his face, Voldemort straightened up, threw back his head, and stared around at the dark graveyard. How many will be brave enough to return when they feel it? He whispered, his uh, gleaming red eyes fixed upon the stars, and how many will be foolish enough to stay away? And then he has part of his monologue with Harry to get mm-hmm. down to the end of the next page that says the air was suddenly full of the swishing of cloaks. So there was an apparition that kind of occurred once he sent out the message. Yes, they, they apparate to the spot. Um, gotcha. Yeah, that's the mechanics of how they actually get there. And so, you know, you have this... You God, can you imagine the panic on these people's faces <laughs> that in the decision point... A bat signal goes off and they're like, I'm oh God. Die. I'm gonna die. Yeah. Um, and so I actually really like that that line that Voldemort has about like, who will be brave enough to come back and who will be foolish enough to stay away? Because that is a real, yeah. that's a real decision point for these people. What, it, make, it makes it such a power move that he's doing this though, is because he, 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 he knows that this is going to get back to the ministry and he just doesn't care. This is his announcement to the world that he has returned, that now followers everywhere there are aware and just disappearing in place to come to his side. But it does seem also, like the, sorry, BJ, um, the there are death eaters and there are followers right fair um and so the death eaters are this inner circle and there seems to only be what like maybe in in the heyday even 20 two dozen of them every day yeah do we reasonably believe that he identifies all that are actually present when he's going down the list or are there others that are there that just aren't focused on see i think he identifies them all see he name drops uh one two three four five five or six of them Mm mm-hmm I think there might be a few others there, and then we have the empty spaces, but I don't think that there are, like, masses of other people that he's not talking about or or who have not shown up. Um, gotcha. So his inner circle of the Death Eaters is actually, a, is actually a very small select group. Now, we see how, like, at the... Um, and we talked about this in the Quidditch World Cup chapter. There mm-hmm. were a lot of people participating in the mm-hmm. muggle baiting. So his followers or people who are perhaps sympathetic to him are much are greater, but they, they are not being called to the graveyard in the middle of the night to witness his duel with Harry Potter. Gotcha. There are only so many people with robes in the KKK, but there are a whole <laughs> lot of racists that aren't too unhappy when they do what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so will there be an explanation as to why Snape and Dumbledore and basically the heavy hitters at Hogwarts don't show up in the next five minutes. That's a good question, because I had not actually thought about this, because Snape's arm goes. And presumably knows where to go to, you know, to act good on it. Yeah, and, like, he has to not tell Dumbledore and McGonagall and whoever else might wield a reasonable amount of power, and, like... Dumbledore doesn't really have the excuse that, like, Harry Potter just needs to learn some things, so I'm not going to do anything. Yeah, I think we might get some sort of explanation for that. I okay. don't, I doubt that you will not be satisfied with it. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I do think that it, in the yeah. kind of explaining chapters of this book, I think there's at least a nod towards why. I, I, would, have two, I would have two assumptions. 
Uh, one, they don't know what kind, of, what kind of conditions will be present, and presumably all the Death Eaters are going to be there, so they wouldn't want to just go in half-cocked. They'd kind of want an army, and that may take a while to put together. Uh, and point number two, it is a place in the Muggle world. A dazzling light show could be a pretty big masquerade violation kind of thing. <laughs> that's that's also true. <laughs> yeah, I, but, I mean, it just sort of seems like a Snape should know, like what's going on in a way that it's unsatisfying that they're not there. If, he, mm-hmm. if he's not immediately telling Dumbledore the next we see them what is happening, I'm going to be pissed. I'm not, that will lead me to question Snape's loyalties if he didn't, the first that that happened, go tell Dumbledore right away. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, but, again, we know that there is access to a lot of, or at least some reasonable number of, like, magical weapons and other useful things that it seems like, well, now's the time to bring out Godric's sword and start hitting people with it. Mm -hmm. Um, But we'll see. Um, Spencer? How does one break... How does one become aware that there's a memory charm on another person, and how does one break it? Um, So there are... I think that it's actually... I don't think that there are, like, magic-y, physical-y signs that someone has a memory charm on them, but I do think that if you start asking enough and the right questions, that you will be able to tell by the gaps in the memory that something gotcha. has been altered. Um, it's, it's I, I assume they don't have, yeah, I, I assume that they don't have like early onset Alzheimer's in the wizarding <laughs> world. Otherwise this could get real sticky. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, if you just start poking around with the right questions, then you, then you get to, hmm, something seems to be artificially not here. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you imagine a sundowning Dumbledore? Oh, oh boy. No. Um, uh, as far as breaking it, it's pretty much... I'm guessing it's like a contest of wills kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it's pretty much brute force, more or less. I, I think that for Voldemort, you know, the Cruciatus Curse was probably involved. I think that it it involves a lot of torture. Well, and we see what effect it had on Bertha Jorkins. He just simply just says that there was nothing left of her of use and she was disposed of afterwards. Yes. So. And you know what? Now yeah. that we talk about this, I wonder, we in the chapter about the pensieve we -hmm. had a lot of questions about you know how can you compel somebody to take their memories out and like put them in the pensieve and do this spell i wonder if there is something similar that happened here and it's like so unspeakable in the wizarding world that nobody else ever does it because it leaves you a broken husk of a person Mm -hmm. maybe he's like actually um extracting memories from her in some way. I don't know. And that would be the useful thing of the pensive that it doesn't do this in this destructive yes. way or you can like put yes. them back in. Um, but right. you can imagine that there would be a sort of hatchet job version of this if you don't care about the brain yeah. that was previously holding these memories. Yeah, pensive is control V. This is click and drag. You're not leaving anything behind when you do it the way Voldemort does it. <laughs> yeah. Um, other questions? Uh... There's... I mean, I had the one that I, I just waved off the answer, but do we get an explanation for Voldemort's magicking? Um, so are you specifically talking about, like, how he conjured the... How he conjured the, the hand, hand, he okay. picked up uh, Wormtail. Like, he did a lot of things that we know go along with magic words, to, like, to cast the spell. Leviosa, I assume, um, just on a slightly... So larger scale. Voldemort did use um, his wand to make the hand. 
he he uses his wand, but he doesn't say anything. And that's oh. been like a big... Com- yeah, so there is an explanation for that that we get. Okay. Um, and I think we've talked about it very, very briefly. But um, there is, like actually in one of their Hogwarts classes in a later book, they start to learn how to do spells without having to say them. It's really pretty okay. advanced magic even to do basic spells without having to say them. Um, and right. so most witches and wizards don't even bother with it beyond basic spells that they do every day because if you're not why put the time and effort into like it like molly weasley not, yeah. dealing with house yes stuff. exactly that's that's the perfect example um okay. but you know they are when they are taught them i think it's in defense against the dark arts it would make the most sense because they're taught them kind of under the um in the context yeah in the context of you can have a real advantage if you are in danger of not yelling yeah. out the spell to alert Gotcha. Yeah. So are we to believe that Harry Potter could apparate something and that's how the glass disappeared or was like removed from the snake cage? Is, is that like the this is how powerful he is mm. or is it just like the young magic leaking out and like everybody kind of has that level because. Yeah, I think my my sort of thought about the young magic is that it's completely unpredictable it's almost like mm-hmm. um like a short in the electricity or something like that yeah that, like a lightning bolt kind of thing yeah. that's way more powerful than it has any reason to be and you never know what it's gonna of... be and it just comes out and like they may or may not ever be able to harness that much power again <laughs> gotcha. ever it just is a confluence of things that's kind of coming out of them yeah does harry cast the expelliarmus literally the next chapter Yes. Yes, he does. <laughs> it is what Harry do. I'm not even. Does I'm not even going to caveat that as a spoiler. Afterwards? Yes, yes, like... he does. <laughs> That's simply pattern identification. <laughs> but we will. We will see how that works for him. Uh, yeah. Oh, I actually do have another real question. Um, why does Voldemort have his wand? That's a really good question. I can't, I don't remember. He, he, well, wait, 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 quick question. He came out of the pot naked. Mm-hmm. Um, but he so had his it, wand in the, that uh, in, preface in, chapter. In mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, he did, because at one point, I think it's Frank or Harry in the dream or something, sees, like, over the arm of the chair, sees a wand emerge when yeah, he can't even see, hand. yeah. Um, so he had his wand at that point. Is it his wand? Like, is it his wand? Yes. Okay. Because we know there's a twin. Like, they're fairly specific. Mm-hmm. And it is. It, it is. And his we know wand. wands can be broken. Mm-hmm. And so it's fascinating to me that it wasn't broken. Yes, and I'm trying to remember. I'm... Was it in Wormtail's prison pocket? <laughs> yeah, what? I don't know how he would have. I'm trying to figure out how he would have gotten it because we we know that Hagrid is the first on the scene. The scene, um, because Sirius has gone after Wormtail. They're elsewhere. Voldemort's gone. Hagrid's the first on the scene. I wonder if he just left it and somebody found it later, or if I don't know if it went well, with him in some way, shape, or form. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, it either went with him. 
it was found by one of his followers and eventually smuggled to him, which I don't think we have much support for that. It's based on the fact that nobody's been talking to him. Mm -hmm. Or it was taken by the ministry and has now been smuggled to him, possibly by ministry agents kind of thing. Yeah. We should be on the lookout for that because I don't think that we have, we don't have an explanation for it really at this point, as far as I know. And I don't remember if we get one either. Okay. This is one thing that I, like, if I didn't know better, I would Google. And don't, I don't. would find out bad mm-hmm. things if I did so. So do, let me look and see if I can find a very quick that, it's answer. Not, not now. Okay. Uh, I won't it, tell you anything. I'm going to see. <laughs> oh, I didn't expect that you would. But like, you know, I, I don't know that it matters in the world of, of things. Well, while Sarah looks that up, BJ, I think we're done with questions. What do we have for our next chapter as I'm pulling it up myself? Uh, we have a chapter that you might have a better chance of figuring out what this is than I do because I think it's supposed to be vaguely Latin, uh, presumably priori incantatum. Yep. Um, I assume casting a spell first, basically, or before. That, um, that would be the Latin, yes. Uh, so I wonder... What spell might be cast before another spell? Well, we'll have well, to find well, pri- out. Tune in next time. Priori would be pri- would be primary, wouldn't it? Uh, a priori without before, I think. I have to double check our Latin. It looks like it's the freaking Cheshire cat in terms of the image in the start of the chapter. Oh, it is. I didn't even look at the <laughs> the image. Um, uh, it has a nose though, which is kind of confusing. I will. So um, I have an answer for this wand question. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, it actually was Peter Pettigrew that once he faked his own death, he went back yeah. to the, um, the Potter house, the scene of the crime, got the wand yeah. still in the confusion. Cause all of that happened really at the same time. So by the time that he turned yeah. into, um, by the time that he turned into a rat, he went back to, um, the Potter's house and collected the wand. And then when he finally went looking for like, started to hear these rumors about Voldemort coming back um, or being found gotcha. somewhere. He had kept it all this time. And when he went back looking for Voldemort, like that was the other thing that he could bring him. How is this guy not going to be like, you know, a senior Duke under Voldemort's regime? He did everything. He's solely responsible for the return of the Dark Lord. Because he's a little rat. <laughs> <laughs> and he wouldn't have been able to pull it off without that. Yeah, I... I'm also getting more and more disappointed with uh, the Weasleys. For just harboring Pettigrew as well as Voldemort's wand. And and not knowing. (laughs) And, and like, not putting two and two together. Like, anyway, you know, maybe we'll get more information about it. They didn't know he could turn into a rat. True, the family did Yes, but, oh, I mean, I guess that's an obvious question. I don't remember if we asked this, but, like, do familiars have way extended lifespans or you know yeah they live uh, well no because they do they start to get suspicious at the beginning of the third book because like um right scabbers is just supposed to be a regular rat and they can't figure out why he's lived this long but the weasleys are saying like well we've just taken good care of him but other than (laughs) other than his like unusually long life they don't have a reason to connect scabbers with anything other than just being a rat yeah until he's not Next time. Next time. All right, this has been fun, guys.
Should I stop by recording?